0: considering that some journals out there are charging almost uh, five thousand yeah. dollars per, per submission how are you doing it for ten dollars
1: <laughs> well the, the question should be how the others do it with the five thousand. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. Uh, As always, I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. James is here, and we have a very special guest today, Daniele Marinazzo, who is a statistical physicist at the University of Ghent in Belgium and on the editorial board of the recently launched journal Neurons, Behavior, Data Analysis and Theory. Daniele, thanks for joining us on the show. I want to begin by asking, uh, why launch a new neuroscience journal and how is it different from the currently established journals that are out there?
1: Yeah, so this uh, is actually uh, what it is all about and uh, is the same question that that I asked myself and I answered myself, not only in this case, but also when individually I was asked to join um, editorial boards of other journals. So maybe first a quick uh, disclaimer. So in the new uh, MBDT journals, we are more than uh, 120 editors and the three founding editors. So yeah, I'm somehow uh, I'm not sure with whether self-proclaimed or uh, proclaimed by someone else, but uh, ephemeral in any case, uh, communication chief, uh, whatever. So uh, I speak. On behalf of the journal, we can say, but uh, I cannot avoid that uh, I speak also on my behalf and definitely not on in complete agreement with all the 120 people. That's why it's good to be so diverse. But anyway, in this case, I'll try to be more general as possible. And uh, speaking of the fact that a journal uh, should build upon a community, but also should uh, be the igniter of uh, building a community. Together with this, uh, it's important for it to be uh, clearly identifiable and uh, possibly be identifiable and identified with uh, with good contents and good science. And good mm. nowadays means uh, not only good uh, uh, as... Okay, my stuff is super uh, fancy, or I change the word with this, but uh, means uh, reproducible, means um, falsifiable, means open to discussion, means something. We should, we would like to do a journal club about it. That's why uh, we came out with this. Um, let's say uh, not require, yeah, requirement for the editors more than for the others. Or from the authors. So, editors, please take an assignment of a new um, paper submitted to uh, MBDT. If you would make a journal club in your lab on that paper,
2: ah, that's the that's the that's yeah. the, the the acid category. Would you accept it for journal club? I like that.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I have also to say that some people uh, were. Uh, somehow intimidated by this. It's kind of uh, say, well, okay, but now if I really have to ask myself this question, uh, would, uh, I don't know, Jack Gallant or con recording uh, or uh, uh, Anne Churchland or John Pillow or Daniele Marinazzo do a journal club on this? I don't know. But, uh, what does it mean? It really, it's really a lot of screening or so, but basically uh, what we thought is that the self-imposed bar of is myself ready to be communicated to the world, not to 100 editors, which still is a small portion of the community, but is it ready to to be out there? So I think this is or should be a higher bar than uh, would uh, some of these uh, old or less old uh, people would do a journal club uh, on my work.
0: And this seems like a really uh, sensible rule because all, from, from what I'm reading on the website, all you need is at least um, uh, you, you suggest uh, editors and editors, or if they, if they would run this as something within their own journal club- um, then um, then they'll handle handle these papers, which I, I I think is good, and it also opens up. Uh, it doesn't actually give any restrictions to the type of papers because different types of papers are discussed at journal clubs. You have um, the experimental papers, you might have methods papers, so it it opens up things which are which are quite yeah like.
1: yeah. So also the the format is a uh, is free, so it's uh, also let's say unconventional formats such as. Uh, uh, tutorial, uh, software tools, but uh, also then uh, opinion pieces or whatever, they can all find a, a place uh, with, a, um, with the journal.
0: Now, I understand that uh, it only costs $10 per submission, which is basically free. So, considering that some journals out there are charging almost uh, $5,000 yeah. per, per submission, how are you doing it for $10?
1: well the the question should be how the others do it with the 5000 <laughs> <laughs> i've
2: wondered this for years man uh, cuz you you get figures you get figures from publications you you get people who intimate the fact that they need all that money to do something but the actual central core component of communicating <laughs> the information after it's been checked how much does that really cost? No one's ever satisfied to no no one's no one's ever satisfied me with an answer. And you've put your money where your mouth is on this one by saying the fee to handle this in a sense is yeah. ten whole real dollars. Ten dollars. No, definitely. I
1: mean the, the the largest part of the fee is actually to secure a a DOI, a digital object. Identified. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because so yeah, they're all free.
2: You, you buy them in possibly. a block and then you assign them to the papers. They cost a little bit of
1: money, right? Yes. And, of course, if the archive would die tomorrow, then we would uh, lose this support. Because Actually, the papers <laughs> are on archive, are overlaid there. And then the final version um, is formatted with the journal the, with the template, contains the reviews. But it's still an archive, and together it has a digital object identifier, which Mm -hmm. dive doesn't have uh, by default.
0: I have to say the journal template actually looked really nice. I had had a look. Um, You have one paper, so I mean it's a very new journal, and you have one paper that's published, and the template, it's really nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean uh, sometimes uh, part of the five thousand (laughs) dollars. (laughs) <laughs> uh, is to put things together in a template. Sometimes it also involves, um, let's say, copy editing or whatever. So we will go later to all these stage. So, I mean, uh, talking also with senior editors at other journals. So, for example, myself, I'm an editor at several journals in the field. So, for example, I'm an editor at uh, uh, Plus One, Plus Computational Biology, uh, NeuroImage, Network Neuroscience, Brain Topography, Uh, I think it's everything, yeah. So these are the legacy journals, Uh, I'm on it. Uh, Some uh, are, um, let's say, well, there is NeuroImage, which is uh, Elsevier, uh, uh, Subscription with Possibility of Gold Open Access. Then there is um, uh, Plus One and Plus Computational Biology, which is a non-profit. So it's a a different um, types of things. So... In every, in any case, uh, there is a different involvement of uh, the, um, the editorial uh, office. Let's say, in terms of proofreadings, in terms of many other things. So sometimes you can say, well, okay, a well-established journal has a whole team behind to solve, for example, authorship uh, conflicts, uh, uh, to solve um, any issues which can. Uh, come up, uh, take stance, controversies, uh, and eventually retract the paper, etc., etc. So, mm-hmm. things, of course, need people to do this work, and there is people who are really expert in this. Now, I'm not saying whether uh, we need it, we don't need it. So, uh, one of the issues uh, that has been uh, raised is okay, but is this uh, self-sustainable? Will it grow or so? So let's say that for the moment, what we say is that uh, in order to ensure that one of the several editors, and we are allowed especially to ensure the maximum coverage, and we are open uh, to suggestion for other editors if we feel that uh, some field is not covered enough. By the way, uh, Daniel or James, do you think that there is enough uh, uh, heart rate and oxytocin related to the brain uh, or
0: ah uh... oh, oxytocin's all brain you would oh. <laughs> ah, well, you
2: don't don't get him started
0: <laughs> don't Here get me started yeah, okay. uh, but yeah so d- d- anyway
1: if you say well okay i think that uh, my field is underrepresented and none of uh, you guys would uh, do a journal club on this but still my work is about uh, neuron behavior data or theory then you should uh, step up or invite someone else. But uh, we want the most of the field to be covered, basically all of it.
0: So- and I think with uh, with 100, uh, hundred over 100 on the editorial board, it seems like you probably have most uh, bases covered, well, I would imagine.
1: Hopefully. So uh, what I was saying is that, okay, we have this community of editors when uh, at least one of those editors want to handle a paper in terms of this looks interesting. I would like to talk about this with my lab and with my colleagues. I want to make it better. I want it to, to improve it. I want to possibly to build on this and so, and so I will invite other people to, to review it. And then at certain point you say, well, okay, for us, it's fine. Still, it's out there. It's open for other comments and so, so to do this, and to have a digital object identifier, for the moment, we don't need more than that. And in the near future, maybe we won't need more than that. Then you can say, yeah, okay, but you don't offer this service, you don't offer this service, you don't offer this service. Fair enough. It's, I don't know, really, it's, it's what it does. So, and then maybe it comes back to the fact, yeah, okay, but uh, we had, uh, I mean, we haven't had the archive for uh, 20 years, uh, but still, uh, uh, people go for more and more subscription journals because sometimes they feel that, uh, in this case, uh, uh, let's say an enforced um, a peer review improves this paper, which is definitely true in most of the cases. Uh, or they say, well, okay, I want uh, um, a label attached to my journal, or <laughs> you want to hire me if I don't uh, publish in this journal, this journal. So, so. Mm, We should start somewhere to to be able to say, okay, my work is out there. I feel happy that other people read my work, and I feel happier if other people read my work constructively and suggest some changes. And then they say, well, okay, uh, for us, the paper is uh, published in the sense that, uh, yeah, I mean... uh, it has a DOI for uh, MBDT, it has a template for MBDT, and it is out there. Then everyone can decide what to make of it. So you say, okay, no, for me, this is not enough. I need a, a, a particular a journal which uh, uh, which my community would recognize more. But we hope to become this community.
0: How are you planning on doing that? Because you ran a Twitter poll about a month ago where you asked the question, uh, why would you not consider submitting a manuscript to the journal in which an overwhelming majority responded, no impact factor slash recognition? Now, I don't think impact factor is the problem, yeah? Now, look at Nature Human Behaviour, which is a new journal, Mm -hmm. no impact factor, but people are still submitting there. So, it all comes down to recognition. So, how do you plan on countering this problem?
1: Well, basically- recognition is uh, your community reading your papers uh, talking to you at conferences uh, inviting you or building on your work and so so for for me this is enough as a recognition then uh, together with the fact that the paper is out there and uh, are, um, let's say uh, still open for uh, scrutiny or whatever so so I don't think that, um, let's say the majority of the other journals offer more in terms of um, recognition, let's say, from the community. Then it then it boils down to the funding body. Of course, you cannot say, uh, well, okay, um, if uh, my university won't hire me or won't promote me, if I don't uh, publish in... A, a, a uh, A1 uh, journals. Then you should first ask yourself what is an A1 journal, or your university your your community should ask um, what does it mean an A1 journal apart from being a label. So it
0: all yeah. No, sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, no, please go on. Yeah, it,
0: it almost seems like there just needs to be a critical mass that if the if the community as a whole decided this is an important journal. Then that, that's all it needs because it's not about um, quality because we know that the prestige of a journal doesn't necessarily um, isn't necessarily associated with quality. In fact, we, we tend to see more retractions from prestige journals, maybe because more people are looking at them. But regardless, there doesn't seem to be better quality peer review at um, a at, at, at different journal. So, it really just comes down to the community deciding this is an important journal. Uh, which um, so we, we just need to get the community to say, hey, we're we're going to actually um, s- submit our stuff here, and um, you know, once 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 you get a critical mass of, of papers, that's really going to help things along the way. It seems. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. This is the uh, this is the idea, and this is also one of the reason apart that we don't want to to reinvent the the, the wheel or a whole new platform. So that's why we use. Uh, uh, for uh, for now the archive, but also possibly other um, uh, preprint uh, uh, servers or so. That we have already the the tools for um, mm. uh, for, for doing this. Uh, and it's good and it's healthy and it's normal that for a while we really go uh, together in parallel with other journals. So it's not say okay, no, I won't read more journals which come uh, from uh, some. I mean, uh, that are legacy ones or so, that things should uh, should come together. So there will still be great science published in uh, uh, legacy journal together with uh, less good science. We hope that in our case, what is published, even if it's a tiny fraction of what is published elsewhere, is better than uh, what you find elsewhere. And then uh, this eventually will make the cut.
2: I'd love the idea of overlay journals in general because they <clears throat> there is there's obviously a gap between the perception of a preprint and the perception of a published article and the the preprint is providing the the physical actual format of where the information needs to go and every and it's you know it makes it it makes it findable it makes it locatable it gives it an online presence etc etc all that stuff is solved with a preprint server and everything after that is adding kind of perceived authority so if mm. you can if you can find a way basically to flavor what is essentially a preprint then you've managed to bridge the gap of how do we how do we start something that's a collective identity around this particular group of papers, um, which means that you can, you can do it for, I mean, you could, you could start, for instance, the most exclusive journal in the world, where you had to be a the incredibly fancy person with a with a goddamn Nobel Prize doing a, a nine experiment series on some insanely complicated uh fancy area of uh biology or genomics or something like that. And you could you could do that, you could literally make tomorrow, if you had the right people, the most exclusive fancy journal in the world for nothing. It's a collective identity process where we all agree that uh something that is badged under a certain label is a good idea. I mean yeah yeah there's other there's other functions but I think it's fascinating that if we <laughs> the, the the barrier is everyone agreeing that it's a good idea and that it yeah. has an identity and a meaning.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean then from uh, I mean the step from a preprint to a published uh article let's say uh, you mentioned, uh, let's say, um, impose authority. Now, I don't remember. I mean, my short term memory is fucked up, but okay. Uh, it's all right. It's the end of the year. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but apart from this, of course, uh, you are hoping that people read it and give comments. So, I mean, the, all the preprints that I posted it, and then eventually they become a successive version, published or not. Really benefited a lot from the from the intervention of other colleagues. We say, well, okay, uh, this one doesn't uh, is not clear. This one is probably wrong, or this one uh, I don't see it enough. Please convince me more about this, and so so I'm. I think that uh, let's say. Once a paper is posted as a preprint and is published in the most uh, pure sense, if you want, still it needs some work and it will need some work possibly forever. But uh, it's uh, once it's good enough for you, for your standards, because I mean, we eventually what we have is our standard, our perceived uh, reputation, and our uh, huge uh, egos that we don't want. Hurt. So we, anyway, we don't. Uh, we hope that we don't uh, put uh, horrible uh, work out there. But still, it's hugely improvable, and uh, part of the of the work of us as editors and us as reviewers is to uh, to make this better.
0: We're going to take a break, and we'll be back soon. If you're enjoying Everything Hurts, there's a few ways that you can support the show. Firstly, you can become a patron. We have two Patreon support tiers. Our first is the $1 a month Mad Bad Grad tier, and in return, you're going to receive a monthly Everything Hurts newsletter and access to behind-the-scenes photos and video via the Patreon app. We also have a $5 Professor Fancy Pants tier, and on top of the newsletter and behind-the-scenes access, you'll also get an exclusive mini-episode which is released every single month. Every single cent we get via Patreon is going to go back into making the show better. On top of Patreon, you can also mention the show on social media. We would love that. We are Hertz Podcast on Twitter, and we also have a Facebook account, which we will link to in the show notes. Any questions, just contact us over social media or over email. We are everythingHertzpodcast at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to everything hurts. For this episode, we are speaking with Daniele Marinazzo, who is on the editorial board of the recently launched journal Neurons Behavior Data Analysis and Theory or NBDT. Did you get now, it right? Daniele-
2: Did he get it right that
1: time? Yes. But oh, yes. Daniel. Got
0: it. Got it. Now, Danielle, I want to ask you, what is the process? Let's say I have um I've written my written up a preprint yeah. and it is ready to be submitted. What is my process of submitting to NBDT?
1: Okay, so the first thing as we were saying before, you say well okay, my uh, work is good enough for others to read it, for the public to read it and uh it's possibly, preferably reproducible. So you have uh, all your uh, code, your data, if possible. I uh, don't want to force people for the for data, but we know that it's always good to have in there. On the other hand, if you have some data which for one reason or for one other cannot be shared, it's fair enough. Uh, we can do reanalysis uh, or. Uh, analogous kind of data, or so, or at least uh, be able to reproduce the figure or whatever. Then we'll talk about it. But anyway, you have your paper and at least you are able to reproduce the, the figure and possibly all the paper if uh, your computer should uh, fall uh, in somewhere deep. Then if you submit your paper, let's say to archive, and then uh, you contact either uh, one of the three editor-in-chiefs, which, by the way, are uh, Anne Churchland, uh, Conrad Cording, and uh, Jonathan Pillow, uh, also known as John Pillow. Uh, by the way, uh, in SFN, uh, there was this nice uh, real-time translation with all the possible... everything that could go wrong would go wrong. So he became John Pillow, anyway. Uh, you, to, <laughs> you, you can contact one of these three people or you can directly contact one of the editors. Uh, In the future, we will uh, possibly also uh, crowdsource this. So let's say uh, general uh, collective intelligence uh, matching uh, papers uh, and editors. But anyway, you can contact the editor-in-chief or you can contact one of the editors. So you have an automatic uh, email trigger to the editor-in-chief or a direct uh, email to them, and then Uh, the editor can decide to handle the paper, so it's okay, it's good enough for a a lab meeting in my lab. And then they can assign it to one or another editor or decide to to handle themselves, the the chief editors. Then uh, you should invite reviewers uh, as soon as as possible. Uh, If the editor is available and no invitation are issues uh, within uh, a short uh, time, then that editor is considered decayed or at least rejected by that editor. And then it goes to another one. If three editors reject it because they don't feel interested in it or uh, they, they feel that, uh, yeah, basically it's a matter of interest and so, then this goes desk rejected. This is the, the main and possibly sole reason for the moment for a desk rejection. Uh, on the other hand, if an editor uh, accepts a paper, then they do a preliminary check. So, is the paper available uh, as a preprint? Is the data shared? Is the code shared? Uh, does the paper itself have link to the places where code and data are shared? Uh, and if these things are not there. The editor should try to solve them as much as uh, as possible. And then assign reviewers. Uh, it depends, of course, on the quality of the reviewers. So we can say, well, two reviewers are good, three are better. But anyway, it's mostly about the, the quality of the reviews, which anyway are, uh, are public.
0: Now, one thing I want to um, talk mm. about when it comes to your reviewers is that you specifically have a rule that you can't suggest reviewers and you actually came to this decision via an analysis, which makes sense. You're a computational journal, so these decisions should be made by analysis. And in this analysis, uh, the journal found that suggesting reviewers biases the responses, there's no surprise there, and does not lead to to better quality. Now, I think this is actually a really good idea because I, 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 early in my career, I was really surprised to overhear people at conferences mention to colleagues that they're going to suggest them as potential reviewers for a future paper with a bit of a wink. And I'm like, this is crazy because I've, I've always thought about how do these low-quality papers actually get into journals? And uh, I think at least at least within my field of more sort of clinically oriented psychiatry, is it because people are just suggesting their mates as reviewers? And this is an enormous bias, I think. So, the fact that you're coming out to say, hey, you can't suggest reviewers, we're going to do it is, is something that's interesting. But on the flip side, I think that um, we're hearing more and more that people can't find reviewers. So, sometimes suggesting reviewers- is is the only way. So I think there's a bit of a bit of a tension here. But yeah. It seems like you've landed on the side of we would rather have less bias but have more trouble finding reviewers. Is is
1: am I reading that right? Yeah. So the bias is really possibly in two ways. Uh, I mean, uh, as an editor, I've had many and many experience of uh, suggested reviewers that in then in my check of uh, no published uh, papers together recently or so were okay, and say, well, okay, then let's invite these suggested reviewers, you would be surprised how many of these suggested reviewers then end up saying, well, okay, this paper is really bad or having really a bad review. So so it's not only true that uh, suggested uh, reviewers are, uh, let's say, maybe they could be perceived as the authors as, more benevolent, but sometimes maybe just more influential. So the, the authors say, well, okay, I want this to be read by uh, Mr. Bigwig uh, who will uh, understand the, the sheer quality of my paper or, or whatever. But you were surprised how many of the suggested reviewers then turn really uh, bad, bad in the sense of the outcome uh, of the paper. <laughs>
2: uh, oh, so not, not in terms of unfair, but in terms of outcome for the...
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. But sometimes I also have the uh, the things, well, okay, possibly these are friends, but Jesus, you don't do this to friends. <laughs> you don't say <seem> it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, something like, yeah, this paper is really horrible, whatever. Anyway, uh, and I have it also in grants, I have to say. Okay, now uh, this said, Um, we have made a call for reviewers and we got a very good uh, turnout. And again, in my uh, experience as an editor, um, early career researchers sometimes, most of the times, are the best reviewers. And uh, the fact that so many uh, early career researchers signed up for this, uh, it's really... uh, I mean, make us feel that we are going in the right direction in the sense mm. of building a community.
0: You know what I would do, which you may be already doing, is if, if I if I ran a journal, which is, uh, I don't know, something I'll ever do. But basically, what you could do is you post the link to the preprint of a paper that's been submitted and you have a look who has liked the paper. On Twitter, because that actually gives you an idea. Maybe there's some biases there, but that would actually give you an idea yeah, of yeah, yeah. who's actually interested in this. Yeah, I actually do
1: things. it. And I, I hey, actually do there it, you go. And, uh, and it really works sometimes. Uh, as an editor, I also ask to people, oh, "Okay, since you published a preprint, would you mind if?" together with the standard uh, uh, reviewing process. So I also ask uh, people to public review your preprint since you put it there. Some people say yes. Some people say, well, I prefer not. And of course, sure. is uh, their choice. But on the other hand, it uh, is a good choice. Then, of course, once I made a kind of a joke on Twitter that, uh, yeah... Sometimes uh, people who say enthusiastically, Oh, this is a great paper, everyone should read this preprint or so. Then, uh, when I asked them to review them, then I got no reply. Of course, (laughs) so many reasons why one cannot. So uh, it was half of a joke. But on the other hand, uh, at least say, Well, okay, I cannot. uh, uh, These people could uh, do it on my behalf. uh, But I mean, anyway, uh, it's. A good way to um, to look for uh, interested uh, readers, at least in terms of um, again of clusters of people who could be interested in this, and, and that's why it's good that the papers in the first place are there um, as preprints.
0: Mm. Now, I've, speaking of speaking preprints, I actually got a question for, for for both of you. I'll start with you, Daniele. Um When it comes to your own personal preprints how how often would are, are people commenting on your preprints when you submit them does it happen for all your preprints
1: uh no uh I mean uh then coming from physics I've basically uh doing preprints since uh my uh, academic <laughs> so uh, let's say even before there was a uh, or uh, social uh, media science or whatever. So it was just about, okay, we are physicists and we have our channels and we uh, paid, uh, put preprints uh, there. So in that case, it was more like, okay, I emailed these two colleagues. Uh, uh, look, there's the link instead of uh, emailing the whole paper and then uh, say, well, what do you think about it? etc., uh, etc. Et now, uh, recently, of course, what I do, I try to promote it on Twitter and whatever, whatever, no, just on Twitter, because this is my thing. I don't have any other uh, social uh, persona, persona, personas, anyway. Uh, but uh, sometimes I actually ask for uh, reviews and in a couple of, uh, of occasions, I got uh, people posting public reviews on PubPeer uh, pub beer or on academic karma on our preprints which were extremely, extremely helpful, and uh, we replied to this. Actually, uh, there are yeah, three of our papers which have uh, uh, public uh, reviews on this platform, either Papeline, Papri- oh, Jesus, Papier or um, Academic Karma.
0: What about you, James? What's your, what's your rate for, for putting out um, preprints and having people actually comment on them?
2: Uh, mine's hugely skewed by the Goosebump research Mm. which is um because what happens there is people read the media articles about that and then they find the preprint and then they talk to me. So I get 2 or 3 emails a week about that wow. on a slow week and on a fast week it would be more like somewhere between 10 and 30. Um a lot of those are, are p- people from the general public who are interested, but some of them are also some of them are also scientists. It's also a it, it's also a matter of you, you, you know different different topics get kicked around to certain to certain degrees, and it's one of those things that sort of made it into the middle of the, the churn between online sources. I suppose um, it's mm. been reasonably common for the others, but almost exclusively academic. Um, the The thing that I find most interesting is. How how quickly it takes things to be taken up by kind of citation, so the citation culture of, you know, like, oh, this, this is the right thing to cite in this particular circumstance. So I've posted preprints and had them cited somewhere and I think one was in like six weeks. So wow. cause it, may, it gives you the idea. So you know that there's people out there reading them. You know that they're being taken seriously. It's just that they're not writing to you. It's just another way of telling like what they're actually doing. And then you see it in the context of the paper and that's some kind of half-assed review in the sense that they're not just, they're not just citing it because it's there. They've obviously read it. They agree with <laughs> it or find it useful, hopefully, fingers crossed. And it's it's hard to say in general, but maybe some three to five emails for a normal preprint over the life of the whole thing, depending on whether or not it's published afterwards, you know, subject to usual caveats, etc. Is that normal? <laughs> I think a- that's pretty normal.
0: Really? No, because I, I speak to a few people and because I, I, I when I sort of talk about preprints and open science and whatever- one of the things I mentioned is that one of one of the benefits of preprints is that people can actually comment on your stuff before you submit it, and then people tell me that yeah, I did I did this, but no one's actually reading my stuff and 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 replying. So, and, and that happens occasionally with a few of my papers. Of course, the the more uh, stuff that 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 that's you know caters to a larger audience tends to get comments, but uh, the more niche stuff, I, I have a few preprints that have no comments whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's a bit of a, a bit of a mix here.
2: I think people are more likely to write to you than leave a public comment. I mean, you, oh,
0: I, I'm talking about that as well. Like, um, and I, I prefer either.
1: There is also some people yeah. who rather prefer people not commenting on their prints, at least publicly. But they say, "Well, no, okay." Is there? So, I think there is a really wide uh, spectrum of. Uh, Mm, let's say feelings about preprint so sometimes uh, people say well okay let's put it there just to say okay we ha- we had this idea the paper is submitted anyway somewhere else so we are working on this this is uh, what we are now and I think this is uh, yeah, this can of course help especially in some cases in which journals uh, even uh, I mean, even in good faith, if there can be good faith in uh, delaying a paper for six months or one year, but anyway, <laughs> uh, sometimes it happens, and so the, pap- the paper doesn't see the, the, the light in terms of uh, being published in a standard journal for, for a long time, so it's good to, to be there. Sometimes the yeah the authors see it uh, as a relief, so, well, okay, now it's out there So, but... Uh, I think that not everyone says, "Well, okay, uh, for me, that's my publication. That's my product. It's here for all of you to uh, evaluate it, to comment on it, and I'm ready to respond to uh, to everyone." Most of people are, but uh, not all of them, I would say.
2: Sure. Yeah, I mean, what's the What's the motivation to? Put it in the public domain, do you think, if not to make it kind of, you know, I mean, you're putting it, you know, you're making it very public in a way that is different to how we used to do all communication of science. So what's the benefit of a preprint if you don't want people to see it or to talk about it? Is it just to be able to say that it's done on an application somewhere, I suppose?
1: Yeah, maybe. Or just some people say, well, okay, uh, this uh, is not the the final paper, which, of course, uh, it doesn't have to be, but no uh, paper should be final, even if it has been read by two or three colleagues uh, which say well okay eventually I like it or I don't dislike it so much uh, mm. but um, yeah on the other hand I think that not for a lack of a, of a platform for doing so or so but still there is no uh, full acceptance of the fact that uh, it's good that everyone can discuss can try to reproduce uh, your analysis and so and um, say well okay this is uh, not quite right or so And sometimes it's uh, let's say something that comes from uh, the the authors sometimes it's uh, some something that comes from uh, from the readership or so so I mean some mm, a few times, and I think I, I li- I'd i like to think of myself as uh, particularly open in this, I say, well, okay, let's publicly review this preprint or so, but consider how much I review for uh, other standard journals. So I really lag behind in openly reviewing preprints. I've, I've did it uh, a few times, but uh, not as much as what I do for others. Maybe, I, I don't know, we still have to, uh, to enter the same mindset for one thing or the other, and the uh, Eventually, once everything uh, is in the same uh, mindset, then we'll say, okay, then what are we doing with the other journals? Or maybe not, but possibly yes. Mm.
2: I wish there was a service sometimes where all you needed to do was click a button. And the, I, I think what, one of the things that peer review does, apart from being something that people have a kind of an expectation of how it works, what it's going to consist of, etc., the, the one function that it really serves is scheduling things, putting them on a deadline, sticking them in front of people. It's just structure. And that because preprints require you to be self-motivated, even to read something that you really want to know about, that you find really interesting, that you've chosen yourself out of everything else. If you're not of the mindset that you should sort of go out and knock on doors and kick stuff in the teeth and see what happens, then... um. You're just It's just not going to occur to you to go out and do that. If there was an enormous network where you just sort of like, you know, click, click a button on your archive submission. Do you want this to be sent to people? Um, and there was a centralized system of trying to structure it for people. Then um, I think people would use the hell out of it. That's a suspicion rather than a strong, confident prediction. I think a lot of people would request attention. Um, and a lot of people would be happy to sign up to give things attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically it's, I mean, uh, me and the other 120 people or so are basically uh, asking for <laughs> authors to request of our attention. And we are happy to to give them uh, the, the attention. So what we don't do now, it's really active uh, actively fishing for preprints because sometimes when you publish a preprint, uh, unfortunately, I don't think it should be like that, but uh, normally you post a preprint the same exact moment you then submit to a journal or you already had submitted to another journal or so. So, yeah, it's not like we are going for every preprint say, okay, uh, write to the authors. Yeah, please uh, publish here. So, on the other hand, we really want those people to To reach out to us and say, yeah, well, find us some reviewers quickly, do a journal club on our uh, stuff and let's have it out there with the reviews, uh, with the, in its best possible way, still improvable, but out there.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, now, Daniele, you're a um, so your background. You're you're a physicist, and one one of the things that um, neuroscience and the biobehavioral sciences are very behind on is, is, is preprints. And like you mentioned before, um, you guys have been doing preprints since <laughs> since since forever. What else? Uh, looking in at neuroscience, what else do you do? You, have you found that uh, the physicists or within physics are doing that uh, that neuroscience can actually learn from?
1: Well, one thing that um, has been proposed as a, a metaphor, but actually as a real implementation, is this uh, uh, accelerator uh, of uh, experiments, something like so, something which would be for psychology what has been the uh, the CERN or the Los Alamos uh, labs uh, for for uh, particle physics. So, a place where. Hundreds of people gather together to to solve a specific problem. They look for a particle for twenty years, and then uh, you have a papers with uh, a thousand authors or whatever. But still, it's a common quest of something that everyone works in a particular uh, niche of the big view. But it comes from all together. So one of the ideas, and they are actually. Uh, so one idea which is uh, already implemented is the one by uh, uh, system neuroscientists, uh, and so also there is the group of uh, Matteo Carandini together, also with the uh, Churchland and many other labs, so, which have launched this initiative of a collective labs in which they analyze data together in search of a common uh, goal and to ensure reproducibility and so. And the same, it has been proposed for. Uh, psychology so now with all the uh, many labs uh, reproducibility
0: Mm, it's happening they do it
1: so yeah so do it maybe for new experience well okay i want to test this effect but let's do it all together because if i wanted to test it only on my lab and i need a huge uh, um, amount of people but still this would not uh, let's say, free uh, my work from the bias of the of a particular place, uh, of of my way of analyzing data or so. So uh, let's say that several labs could uh, join forces and address uh, uh, a topic. So you could uh, then put as a variable the, I don't know, the, the Cultural background, the lab uh, where data has been taken, the latitude, uh, the time of the day, or whatever.
0: But right. how, how does physics solve the sort of thousand author problem? Like, uh, how is it? Like, wh- what are the standards there? If you're on this massive paper, like the, the Higgs-Boson paper, for instance, and you're like the 473rd author, is, are you still going to get is – that, is, that, is that still good for your CV, or how, how does it work within physics?
1: Well, the good thing is that uh, mathematics and physics have this tradition of uh, – Having uh, alphabetical order, so if you're called like Alvar Alto or whatever,
0: oh, the <laughs> Finnish, the Finnish,
1: yeah, and if you're called uh, I don't know, it's big news, then uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are the last author, whatever. But, but so, it, so it doesn't matter then, essentially. Yeah, uh, something like that. Yeah. Now uh, I don't have experience in this uh, really thousands authors paper, but uh, most. I mean, all the papers that I published during my PhD were in um, alphabetical order, let's say.
0: Wow. So you'd be in the um, middle somewhere then?
1: Yeah, but uh, for most of them, we are just the, the three of us and uh, the other two were uh, at initials. <laughs>
0: a, Fini- a, Fini- a, Fini- a Finnish person and a Polish person. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no. So it's, uh, then it, it's really how you then can talk or own your, uh, your work. So, I mean, uh, in the time I was doing my PhD there, I was basically the only uh, junior person in the, in the lab. So sometimes I, it was my uh, work from, from the start and coming um, within the, the main uh, PhD project. Other times I was just helping out, uh, I think so, but uh, it was a matter of alphabetical order.
0: Now, speaking of of junior scientists, the code of conduct for the journal is actually quite revealing for the type of journal that you and the editorial board see. I'm going to read this verbatim because I think this is actually really good. Yes, please. In that um, it's a a journal that will strive to protect young scientists from the powerful and established, new ideas from orthodoxy, the outsiders from the insiders, and in general strive to produce a climate that will allow the field to be as successful as it can be. Gee, that's good. Hmm. I love that because that that and that 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 to me kind of suggests that established journals are kind of doing the opposite in that uh it's the powerful and established that are running things that they're very resistant these journals are very resistant to to new ideas and that um perhaps by doing this is actually holding the field back uh, uh can you talk a little bit more about this
1: yeah so i mean the the, the idea is that uh, I mean first of all we have to uh and knowledge, and recognize, and even as at it as a mission that we are in charge of the spirit of the of the community. So we have to work on making this a useful and a nice place. Doesn't mean that we should accept bad paper or bad science. On the other hand, but we can be we can be hugely influential on the niceness of one another's life, and we should use this thing well in particular uh, we are usually influential on one another's uh, trainees so uh, let's say mm. I'm bad towards a paper, I'm bad towards young people in a lab who are working on this and uh, I should project this to to the young uh, trainees in my group which really I can tell that uh, sometimes that they perceive uh, uh, what comes from outside uh, really hugely amplified, especially if it comes from uh, uh, from people that they see as uh, okay, is accomplished, uh, established uh, uh, scientists, and maybe uh, uh, right uh, by uh, by default. So, uh, what we perceive on our trainees, we should then project on uh, each other trainees, and uh, I mean. It has to be like that. And it has to be in the spirit of community and altruistically. So there is no uh, open reward for this. Uh, It's just we need to make sure that the the literature is good. We don't want to accept a paper which is substandard, which also goes against the interest of the community and in the interest of people doing good work. But we, as senior editors, senior scientists, we have to make sure that we use the, this power of having at least an amplified voice uh, in the student submitter's head, we should use this power for uh, for good. And so we have to help uh, our trainees do better science. And eventually it's our trainees which now do the science. So uh, at least it is in, in my case, the actual uh, science in my lab, uh, I mean, it's a collaborative enterprise, everyone helps each other but they do the science they they will uh, benefit more from this they will build from uh, from this
0: mm, no i think that's uh, that, that that's definitely the way to go
1: yeah i mean we we hope that this really uh takes uh I mean, my mm, my wish for uh as a, an editor or as a reviewer for for this journal, is that uh, a young trainee reads the reviews from this and say, "Well, okay, these are really uh, nice reviews that can help to improve this." And this, uh, uh, I'm happy of having my paper there. It was uh, it was easy, it was uh, fast, and it was constructive.
2: Hmm. nice God I hope this works <laughs>
1: so, um, I really do.
2: yeah I'm mean, it, it's just it, there's we, we're going through a very interesting stage in how science is collectively organized right now where there's a lot of people with a lot of different ideas and there was there was a a bias I think maybe five to ten years ago against trying to do anything about this and now people are recognizing it as a kind of a scientific entrepreneurial kind of space where they feel like it's it's okay to go after ideas like this and the thing that's going to happen next is there's going to be a tremendous winnowing where some things work really well and stay around and other things just sort of qu- are quietly retired by the wayside and I I often find myself wishing I had any, any way at all to predict which one would be, which one would be wish. And I find myself in a situation right now, really hoping that this particular model, this, this model in particular of setting up a journal and a system of managing attention like this has the opportunity to be successful. Um, I don't know, man, there's just, look, there's, there's, There's an awful lot of people who are trying to change what it means to publish something in the first place, uh, change what it means to confer or give respect, change people's relationship to for-profit publishing in the general sense, Um, how review is rewarded and organized, and oh God, a whole lot of other stuff besides... I uh, it it we finding ourselves in a space where it's difficult now to assess the quality of ideas because it's very it's starting to get not crowded as much as there's a lot of interest it's really picking up and people who feel like they've got an opportunity to do something about it uh see themselves as having the freedom to do so or is that just my pers- my perspective what
1: do you think yeah no sure i mean it's uh it's something that I mean, one of the key points—it uh, makes sense of uh, all the of the literature, but all, all of the of all the ideas which have been, uh, um, which are out there, and which of them uh, will uh, will flourish? Will which of them uh, uh, are good but needs work, and so? And I think that in this sense, the 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 guideline of. Uh, would you make a journal club on this is actually the, the is actually key in this sense because only really discussing a paper what can this mean what can this mean with for my work uh, where can this lead in a few years or so uh, this is usually helpful to to assess the, the the impact of a paper so a paper can be very uh, very good but then eventually have a little impact and Impact. I don't mean. I mean sometimes, uh, uh, yeah. There is this misconception that impact means uh, a big uh, altmetric score or uh, ending up in a newspaper or whatever. But uh, an impact is uh, on the society, but uh, and starting from uh, f- from your community. So your colleagues should be able to say, well, okay. At the end of the year, now we are at the end of the year. So okay, what's the Uh, the two or three key ideas emerged this year which uh, which can uh, be useful to to build Mm. our community so I think that the more we talk about these ideas and the more we talk about these ideas with our uh, younger colleagues and so the the, the easier it becomes to to distill good science but not uh, in the sense well okay only two uh, percent uh, are good papers, and all the rest uh, is uh, crap or useless. On the other hand, everything uh, pushes towards something. But in particular, the the readers and authors are parts of the of the same community and decide what we should uh, push or what we should build on. And that's also why it's so crucial to have. Uh, uh, the code and the reproducible material of that because if i say okay this is a great idea i want to use it on my data but then i have to spend months to to redo the code and and whatever and then it's uh... at best it slows things down if not uh, just uh, suits them uh, forever
0: daniele Marinazzo. Uh...
1: Thanks for joining us on the show today. And thanks for having me. And thanks for having 120 MBDT editors. And please get in touch with all of us. And we are there, hopefully, for you.